the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser sitting in for the last hour for Seth as uh, we're on the verge of uh, commemorating the 20-year anniversary of uh, 9-11. Anniversaries aren't always a moment of happiness, but they can be a moment of commemorating shifts in orientation, major traumas, events that changed our lives as we know it. Many of us, including my own family, have uh, children, all of which have been born after 9-11. We have uh, a generation now of uh, youth, uh, 20 and younger, that uh, uh, were not around at that time, at the time of the events of 9-11. And as we commemorate it tomorrow, remember on September 11, 2001, at 8.45 in the morning, Eastern, 5.45 here, I remember it vividly when I was here in Phoenix, getting ready in the morning, clear Tuesday morning in American Airlines, Boeing 767, with 20,000 gallons of jet fuel crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. Left a massive hole in a 110-story skyscraper, killing hundreds and ultimately almost 3,000 people perished as a result of the attacks on 9-11. We also saw the Pentagon attack that started, occurred at 9.45, American Airlines Flight 77. Caused a devastating inferno, the structure killed 125 military personnel and civilians along with the 64 people on board. Shortly thereafter, the Twin Towers collapsed taking with it the majority of those who suffered and perished as a result of the cowardly attack of those 19 hijackers. Then there was Flight 93, California-bound plane, United Flight 93, hijacked 40 minutes after leaving Newark. The plane had been delayed in taking off. Passengers on board had learned of the events. This has been chronicled in uh, documentaries and chronicled in Many narrative since, unbelievable stories about at least four passengers that had decided to rush the, the cockpit, rush the first class where the hijackers were. Todd Beamer was heard saying, are you guys ready? Let's roll over an open line. As they were horrifically talking to their family members, some of them by cell. And that flight crashed in western Pennsylvania at 10.10 a.m., ultimately probably saving many lives by not crashing into the Capitol or elsewhere on its way, returning to D.C. So as we do this, as we commemorate tomorrow, we think about all the sacrifices. I I heard today that 6 million Americans have enlisted in the military since 
9-11, obviously on and off, uh, coming and going. But bottom line is, is that's how many Americans decided to serve in our military after 9-11. And later I'm going to read to you an excerpt from my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, that opens in discussing 9-11. But without further ado, as we, as we look at the last 20 years, I could think of no one better to share this conversation with than uh, Raheel Raza. Raheel, welcome to the yes. program. It's great to be with you. Thank you. you. Thank you. Hello, Sudi. Thank you for having me. Raheel is uh, a unbelievable friend and has been a warrior in the trenches with us in the Muslim reform movement and in uh, the Western struggle for those of us Muslims who have been trying to get a voice against radical Islam. And uh, she's the president of the Council of Muslims Facing Tomorrow. She's the director of Forum for Learning. She recently co-founded, and I'm proud to serve on her advisory committee for that, uh, the Muslim, Muslims Against Anti-Semitism. She's a known public speaker, journalist, and diversity advocate. And by the way, real diversity versus the, the fake diversity of uh, universities, media, left media progressivists that think diversity is about uh, identity politics, but actual real diversity is ideological diversity. So welcome to the Seth Leibson Show uh, Raheel. Thank you. Raheel, I know, you know, for our listeners, uh, you're Canadian. You're originally from yes. uh, Pakistan, uh, your family. And, I was um, born in Pakistan, yes. Yes. On, so on this, on this anniversary, 9-11 obviously had uh, very similar and some different meanings for, for Canadians, but many in the West. Uh, tell me about uh, what you're thinking about today as, as we get ready for the commemoration tomorrow. It's a very poignant uh, day, Zudi, and um, I've just heard on the news that there are numerous commemorations all over Canada. Uh, you know, Canada is in some ways connected to the United States. There were Canadians who were also victims of 9-11. And, uh, you know, it is, uh, it's a very poignant day. It's a sad day. Uh, it's also one in which we continue to remind ourselves of how much the world has changed. And from my perspective... Uh, it did change. Uh, you know, 9-11 was a culmination of the fears and of the worries that we as reformist Muslims had before 9-11. When we saw that the writing on the wall, we saw that there was a rise in extremism and violence. And there was this very deep gut feeling that something is going to happen. Uh, the fact that it happened in such a harsh and tragic way definitely came as a shock, but not necessarily as a surprise. So, uh, you know, every September 11th, I think back that, uh, you, you know, how much has changed uh, or how little has changed in terms of Islamism, which is political Islam. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of questions still there. There sure is. And, you know, I think for those of us in the Muslim communities, plural in all of our communities, which we try to tell the rest of the world that as much as it seemed that there was a huge shift and a tipping point that happened with al-Qaeda's attack on the West, it was a conflict that has been brewing for at least centuries, if not especially in the 20th century, uh, from the previous attack with the World Trade Center in 93, with the hostage crisis before that in 79, 
uh, with these uh, dictators, uh, dictatorships that arose uh, because of failed states uh, across uh, the Middle East and Muslim-majority countries. In your own motherland of Pakistan, it calls itself an Islamic Republic. And yet while it claims to be an ally of the United States, uh, I think you'd be the first to agree with me that it, it, its government and legal system, its Sharia system, shares virtually no values <laughs> with the West, and yet they're still an ally. Is that yeah, is that ever going to change? Well, but what I that there's always that hope that there will be change, you know, with the changing government and so on. But when I see the role that Pakistan has played, especially their uh, ISI, which is the Inter-Services Intelligence Agency, as you know, it's a formidable spy agency, the role that it has played in what is unfolding in Afghanistan right now, uh, it really saddens and disappoints me because uh, they have had a role to play in the uh, Taliban takeover, and we see what's happening in Afghanistan. And that perhaps is such a a poignant uh, issue. You know, 20 years down the road, uh, the United States not understanding that this was an ideological war after 9-11. It was not a war of weapons. It was a war of ideas. But, uh, you know, the way that they they you know, attacked the Taliban later on. But here they are right back and flourishing and, you know, practicing 7th century version of Islam that you and I abhor. And And this is what we've been saying all along. And the countries that have a hand in this, and you know that there are geopolitical interests by Iran and Qatar and Turkey. So it's all very convoluted. But I come back to the to the first idea that we had right after 9-11. We begged and pleaded and wrote and spoke and said this is a war of ideas. You have to go to the root cause of where this ideology is coming from. Uh, you know, weapons of mass destruction won't destroy the ideology. And as we can see with all the global terror attacks that took place all over the world after 9-11, that the ideology, uh, you know, and you had said this like the head of a hydra, just keeps on growing. You crush it in one place and it arises again. And And so I don't think that we in the West have been successful in controlling or in in stemming the ideology, the ideological the matter behind all these terror attacks. Absolutely. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about, I mean, the CNN had on its front yesterday how how so many Afghanis are rushing to the border in Pakistan in order to get some sense of freedom in Pakistan. I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, if Pakistan has been in bed with the Taliban. When we come back, we'll cover more with okay. Raheel Raza from okay. Toronto. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. This is Zudi Jasser filling in for Seth on the last hour before we reflect, commemorate, and think about all those who lost their lives on 9-11-2001 and what we can do to learn from that and move forward and make this world a better place, make our country safer. Are we safer? We're joined by Raheel Raza, President of the Council for Muslims, Council of Muslims Facing Tomorrow, co-founder of Muslims Against Anti-Semitism, 
a journalist, speaker, and one of my favorite people in the world. Raheel, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So we were talking, and let's do this briefly, and then I want to talk about the 9-11 Museum and sort of uh, some of the controversy that's come up, which I, I find sort of a clinic in what we can uh, teach America about the reality of, of the enemy we're facing. But briefly, the border in Afghanistan, I, I mean, seriously, they're saying that somehow they're fleeing freedom into Pakistan, and I, I hardly think it's much of a change. Um, no, it's definitely <laughs> not, and I, I think that that is misinformation because from what I've understood, uh, they want to get out, but not, not to Pakistan. Pakistan already has enough Afghan refugees from before. I mean, it's a porous border. They go back and forth, and this is how Pakistan has aided and assisted the Taliban. And you know there were celebrations by the mullahs in Pakistan when the Taliban took over. And we have a prime minister in Pakistan who is, by the way, Western educated, but a bit of a Taliban-esque attitude towards women. And uh, there hasn't been anything out of him about how women are being treated or mistreated in Afghanistan. The whole world is in uproar, but we don't hear anything from the OIC or the Muslim countries that what they are doing is so much against the basic values of humanity and our faith. And so, uh, you know, this silence is deafening, and it, it again talks about the ideology. Exactly. And I think, you know, this is the point I want to spend our last uh, few minutes together here talking about is uh, that there's no military solution. The only, the only positive thing to come out of this debacle and horrific withdrawal that has happened, uh, not that I wasn't against us leaving Afghanistan, uh, but it could have been done in a much more appropriate, methodical, compassionate way to hand it over. It was just done in a foolish, incompetent way in the last two weeks. But having said that, I think Americans now have all vast, vast majority come to the conclusion you cannot bomb and terror, you know, defeat terrorism only as the solution to the security issue. It has to be an ideological transformation, a cold war against political Islam. And yet we don't seem to have the political courage to fight it. Huffington Post this morning had on its uh, cover, not that I uh, want to in any way point people to that, but I think it's depictive of what's happening on the left. And also in your country, in Canada, with your prime minister, who's been uh, uh, quite uh, uh, close to the far Locked left. On the Islamists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So they said the 9-11, the 9-11 museum has a problematic legacy. Can it be saved? And they're basically, by the way, the museum, which many of my friends were involved in, in helping uh, build the narrative for it was watered down significantly for what most of us wanted it to focus on as far as jihad is concerned. And the most poignant sentence in this piece, it says, it results the museum in an overly simplistic, uncritical narrative, promoting an excessive sense of patriotism and nationalism. Ironically, much like what happened immediately after 9-11 itself. So here we are as Muslims saying, you know what, the best antidote to political Islam is national identity, patriotism for states that are not Islamic Sharia states. And the left now is saying that the biggest problem with the museum commemorating this horrific attack on our soil is its nationalism and patriotism. Well, Zudi, you and I know very well that there are so many movements that put right now which deflect from the real issue. And the real issue, as we have focused on time and again, is fighting the ideology. But right here in Canada, we have political correctness coming out of work. We have 
support for Islamists by people in our leadership. And it's very difficult to get our voices heard. So, yes, I will very quickly add, and I agree with you, that it is not a, um, you know, it can't be an armed battle against this ideology. We have to fight it with better ideas and a better narrative. And for that, Western leaders have to empower the silent majority of Muslims. They have to empower the freedom-loving, liberal, small-l, liberal, progressive, reform Muslims. And And they don't do that because they are afraid to use the term Islamism. But one good thing that has come out in these 20 years is that there has been a clear delineation between Islam and Islamism for those who want to understand. And, you know, it has come become very clear that political Islam is the problem. It's not the Islam you and I follow, but it is the Islam that the Taliban follow. It is the Islam of Al-Qaeda and ISIS and, you know, all the extremists out there. So we have to find better ways, and our voices need to be louder. Our work needs to be published all over, and we need to get this dialogue going. But like you're saying, for every little thing, there is the political correctness and the nitpicking, and you can't move beyond that. And are we ever going to get past the partisan politics? It's almost as if yes. you know our country here in the United States, and similar to Canada, I think— uh, uh, you know, was founded on defeating theocracy. And yet when we, when we, you've testified to your uh, Senate and House, you've been awarded uh, various recognitions by the uh, Canadian Parliament, and, and I've testified eight times to the U.S. Congress on, on this issue. And every time I tell them, fighting theocracy is at the core of the foundation of this country, and yet you all become withering jellyfish when it comes to, to, to declaring that you want to take sides within the House of Islam against the theocrats, and somehow they don't want to take our side. They don't want to take any side. They simply sort of want to look at it and think it's going to solve itself. In the meanwhile, Russia, China, massive countries are taking sides of the Islamists, while America sort of sits and Canada sits it out. Yes, and this plays in favor of the Islamists. So who was the winner in all of this? I mean, right after 9-11, it took only about a year or less before the Islamists were emboldened. And they are emboldened because they see that they can get away with so much. There just is not that willpower uh, in in the Western world and within its leaders, except some countries, of course. You know, you've got Macron in uh, in France, and you know, you've got Austria, and you've got Belgium. Very few countries, but we have to stand up and take stock. This is not about partisanship. It doesn't matter uh, how you vote, but this is for the larger good of humanity. Because it's our children's lives at stake. It is the future of the next generation. And the generation you spoke about who, uh, you know, for the last 20 years, they don't know the history of Islam and how far back it goes and how it's been festering for all these years. And so, you know, your book, The Battle for the Soul of Islam, that's what happened on 9-11-2001. There was a battle for the soul of Islam, and you and I are involved in it 24-7. But we don't get the support that we need from our elected politicians, from our elected leaders, and that's frustrating and disappointing. Tell people how to find you, Raheel, in our last 20 seconds here. Tell them how to find you and how to help us. www.muslimspacingtomorrow.com or my name, www.rahilgaza.com. It's all out there. We need the support, and it would be wonderful if we could band together 
to bring peace. And very quickly, you know, I, my prayers are Five for seconds. the victims and their families. God bless, Raheel. Take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Welcome back. This is Zudi Jasser, Dr. Zudi Jasser, and the chair for uh, Seth Leibson on the Seth Leibson Show as we as we go into tomorrow, 9-11-2021, 20 years after 9-11-01. And as we look at that commemoration, I opened a book that my book that I wrote in 2012 published in 2013 with Simon and Schuster called the Battle for the Soul of Islam and uh, I opened it on reflections with reflections on 9/11 and if you'd like to join in the conversation by the way give me a call 602-508-0960 602-508-0960 anything you want to talk about regarding 9/11 and uh, what our country's been through over the past 20 years since then. There have been a number of tipping points from 9-11 to then the initiation of the Afghanistan war, the war in Iraq, 7-7 in London, terror attack in subways, November 5th, 2009 with Fort Hood, Arab Awakening in 2011. That Arab Awakening saw the ushering in of revolutions from Tunisia to Egypt, across the Middle East to Syria. We thought there'd be hope, opportunity, with millions in the streets finally shedding the yoke of dictatorship, and some ended okay, have improved those countries like Tunisia. Most have ended with huge vacuums, often worse than they were before. But because of the corruption involved in societies after dictatorships have run them for so long, because of a lack of civil society, civic society, institutions, and others, it'll take a number of permutations of the revolutions for that to change. Uh, but it was a tipping point, a tipping point in that when we went into the war in Iraq, we had this, including myself first, I'll have to say, naive perception that somehow we defeat the dictatorship that will liberate Iraq. But liberation is much more than simply shedding military oppression, but also cultural, societal, economic oppression, moral oppression of a lack of morality. And these things do not change overnight. So the mission accomplished banner that was on the ship, on an American ship, uh, was one of the worst memes uh, that we've seen since then because it wasn't accomplished. We've had a number of failures as a result of uh, Iraq now. If we're looking at the failure in Afghanistan withdrawal, what about Iraq? And it's now become a client state of Iran. Does that mean we wasted all of our resources? It, it does mean that we did not optimize the investment that we put into those countries, but it's not wasted. Uh, yes, there was Fort Hood and a few other attacks in the West, but uh, we have essentially decimated al-Qaeda a couple times since 9-11. We've decimated ISIS with obviously NATO's assistance, but pretty much up to the United States to do that. And thanks to the Trump administration, actually finished the job that the Obama administration could not do in decimating ISIS 
because of its fealty to the Iranian axis, the Khomeinist axis into Iraq and Syria and Assad and elsewhere. Uh, but at the end of the day, these tipping points have shifted a lot of understanding of what can be and should be our strategy post 9-11. And as I talked to Raheel about earlier, 9-11 basically exposed a disease, a cancer that has existed within the Islamist-dominated establishment for some time. In my book, as a Navy veteran, I wondered what it was like for my country when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, what it really felt like to hear such shocking news over the radio. It was not until 9-11 that I had really any sense of what that day must have been like. However, in many ways, I believe that history will view the 9-11 attacks as worse than Pearl Harbor. The attack on Pearl Harbor, as terrible as it was, was military in nature and targeted our Navy, those whose duty it is to serve and protect our country. While 9-11 was an attack by terrorists upon civilians, and it was executed by men who claimed to do so in the name of God. As a Muslim, it's hard for me to put into words just how horrific this is, how deeply I believe it betrays my faith and the depth of sorrow I feel for these victims. Like all Americans, I feel that day will always be with me, and as a Muslim, it forced me to confront certain realities. Once the shock of the attack wore off, my next response was pure rage. I wanted to get even with the bastards who had done this, and what added to my fury was that they had done this in the name of my faith of Islam. I had to find a way to address how angry I was and what had been done, and at the same time make it clear to my fellow Americans that my Islam was not their Islam and was not represented by these madmen. I had no idea what a big job that would be and would become a second calling for me, my first being medicine, to make the world aware of the difference between Islam and Islamism. To that extent, President Bush was right. They do hate us for our freedom. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser in the chair as we get ready to commemorate tomorrow, 9-11, 2001, 20 years. Commemorations, I think, are important to reflect on what we've learned, and especially after 20 years, almost a generation has passed, and what have we done with everything that we've learned, experienced, suffered, gained, lost in this period as a result? You know, one of the things we forget hasn't even come up that I've seen in some of the news programs is that the largest agency in government now was produced after 9-11, Department of Homeland Security. Didn't even exist before 9-11, and now we have the largest agency in government. And are we more secure? I would argue that we have been kept safe for the most part. But the mentality, the consciousness across the country is a pre-9-11 mentality, especially in the establishment and the uh, academia and the left, especially in the media. Otherwise, we have gone long before now, 9-11, 2001. Matt Continetti at the Free Beacon has uh, an excellent summary of what's happening in America today. National character does not change in a day, wrote Charles Krauthammer. Gosh, I miss that guy. Charles Krauthammer in an essay marking the first anniversary of September 11, 2001. September 11 did not alter the American character. It revealed it. It allowed 
It forced the emergence of a bedrock, America of courage, resolve, resourcefulness, and above all, resilience. And yet, Matt notes, reading the 20th anniversary commemorations of 9-11 that have filled our prestigious newspapers and magazines in recent days, it seems as if Krauthammer was describing not only another time, but another country. Those pieces tell another different, an altogether different story, not of pride and resilience, but of guilt, pathos, regret, and exhaustion. The reckless, slapdash, and deadly American withdrawal from Afghanistan has only thickened the funeral atmosphere. The bedrock America of courage and grit, what happened to it? It's obscured behind a fog of self-loathing. He then cites some of the some of the pieces out in media the last couple days. One titled, After 9-11, the U.S. got almost everything wrong. Oh, really? That's according to The Atlantic. 9-11 was a test. The books of the last two decades show how America failed, reads a essay in The Washington Post. Winning Ugly is the article in the Establishment's Foreign Affairs Journal. A headline in The Spectator asks, Is America still worth fighting for? The implied answer is no. <laughs> New York Magazine of all places, as Matt says, in chock-a-block with hot takes, arguing that the war on terrorism wasn't worth it. America's greatest existential threat wasn't terrorism. The case for Iraqi reparations, bin Laden won. Oh, really? Now, Iraq, that's become a client state of Iran, they're talking about reparations from the U.S. Another Post column this week, we best remember 9-11 by moving beyond it. Wow makes the the old quote that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it, right? We uh, They even want to whitewash education. And by the way, hats off to Governor Ducey by announcing this week that he was going to strengthen 9-11 education and make sure that it is a, a part of the Arizona educational system for those who are trying to whitewash it. My friend Ezra Nomani in uh, Virginia has exposed... Some of the videos that their secretary of education is is an Islamist who has tried to uh, vilify those that would connect any form of radical Islam or otherwise with 9-11 and what happened to America. And this is happening all over the country where the progressivists in alliance with the Islamists, the Red-Green Alliance, are working to change history, to deconstruct history to where everything is America's fault. Everything is related to our own self-loathing rather than actual disease, the actual diagnosis of theocratic Islamism, of its synergy with socialism, its synergy with the progressivists who really don't care about their actual values of diversity, but actually use diversity to collectivize individuals into voting blocks. Matt says, the worst terrorist attack in the nation's history has been conscripted into the culture wars and turned into another symbol of everything that the credential classes do not like about the world around them. Pessimism and shame are felt even in the Oval Office. On August 31st, President Biden from the Oval Office described the last 20 years as a tale of unrelenting woe, especially for the millions of men and women who served in uniform. He said a lot of our veterans and families have gone through hell, True, real and awful suffering cannot be denied. It is part of the story of the last two decades. But it is not the whole story. 
comprehensive narrative must include that since 9-11, an entire generation of Americans has donned the uniform or worked in a civilian capacity in successful effort to prevent another mass casualty terrorist attack on U.S. soil. Tragedy has been leavened by nobility, idealism, and self-sacrifice. The roll call of American heroism in the post-9-11 era begins with the firefighters who scaled the Twin Towers. We owe this 9-11 generation a great deal. And this is so true. What, why is, why are we, it is amazing that somehow even our leadership, Biden was supposed to be the great, the great uniter and the moderate. He's turned out to be one of the most extremist, progressivist presidents this country has ever had. And also, and also apparently self-loathing. Cannot even bring us together in the successes that we've had in the 20 years, but rather in some kind of apologetic to excuse the incompetence and the horrific exodus that happened out of Afghanistan run by a State Department that was negligent where the DOD, which could have done it right, was given a second position in organizing that. Somehow... It's simply depictive of the failures of the last 20 years. Seriously, I don't think most Americans that I know would depict what our sons and daughters have been doing globally as failure. We've succeeded. And for every one terror attack that we've heard about that have been prevented, I can tell you having served, there's so much that you don't hear about. So many stories, narratives of every individual that served in Afghanistan that saved lives that you don't hear about. In Iraq, saved lives and prevented terror attacks that you just don't hear about. So as we look at the successes, I hope tomorrow as we commemorate, we remember remember the realities of what America does for the world, that Regardless of how feckless and regardless of how incompetent or self-loathing the left might be when they're running the show in Washington, uh, the reality is we know, the world knows what America brings to the table and what they have done to succeed in keeping us safe and keeping uh, freedom and democracy's flame lit. And as we were talking to Raheel uh, earlier, can you believe Macron, Kurtz in Austria are far ahead of us in declaring that political Islam and Islamism is the problem. These these otherwise weak leaders compared to what we've had before with Bush and Trump and otherwise are leading us. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser helping us get ready for commemorating 9-11 tomorrow. In the last few minutes, as you, uh, as we each in our own way think about the last 20 years, can't help but uh, reflect on the successes, what our men and women in service have done to keep us safe, that hopefully this largest agency we now have, DHS, which did not exist pre-9-11, will continue to improve 
We've testified many times to Cong- many times to Congress about how the entire countering violent extremism program was such a, a, a horrific waste of, of money at times because it didn't identify the ideology, Islamism. Countering violent Islamism or even just countering Islamism should be the project. So if we all agree now there's no military solution, I hope as we reflect tomorrow, we reflect on the need for an ideological strategy, Manhattan Project, whatever you want to call it, to begin to harness our resources so that there are experts in the Beltway and outside that begin to find Muslims and others across the world that share our values and, just like we did in the Cold War, begin to create a strategy of enlisting them as allies and helping them build movements of those who support women's rights, who support free speech, who support freedom of religion, and begin to counter the ideas of the Islamic State, counter the ideas of not only ISIS, that Islamic State, but every Islamic State, because the West has already learned in its own history that religious states, the establishment of the church or organizations of religion through government is a foolhardy adventure and creates oppression rather than religious freedom. And this is something Islam has yet to go through, and you cannot approach Islam in an ahistorical way. So as you commemorate, I want to read you an advertisement that we put into the Arizona Republic a year after 9-11. Members of our Muslim community, on this solemn day of remembrance, prayers, and meditation, recall that a year ago today, now 20 years, barbaric acts of murder and destruction fell upon our citizens in our cities. On 9-11-2001, 19 criminals and their organization directed a sneak attack upon our nation, everything for which we all stand. The perpetrators of this act violated the laws of God and outraged the sensibilities of all. They cowardly murdered thousands of our fellow citizens, innocent men, women, and children. They only succeeded in strengthening our resolve and pulling us together. Our freedom was the target and we shall defend it. Our democracy was their enemy and we shall maintain it. Our unity was their envy and they shall continue to suffer from it. We shall neither forget nor forgive in this life, and they shall contend with the judgment of God in the next. To the victims belong our sours and tears. To their families, we direct our prayers to God for his favor and blessing in easing their pain and healing their injuries. To our country, we stand by all our fellow citizens in unity and prayer for our national strength, justice, freedom, and peace. And that was from Muslims at our organization and others just one year after. May we harness this and remember the country that is the greatest country in the world, the United States of America. God bless. This is Zudi Jasser. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.